So what we want to do is we want to create uh, an environmentally, financially and socially uh, responsible development. And so that's that's the core of where we, we were going or started from. And uh, having sustainability and, and all those sort of in those sort of three functions is, is a key or core uh, value that we have. G'day, welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. Now, I'm always interested when I hear about an eco-village. What exactly is an eco-village? And just how eco is it? Well, I reached out to Simon Wallace recently when I heard about a proposed development near Paraparauma, just north of Wellington. And this is a development done or going to be done by the Lotus Yoga Centre, which was established in Arrow Street in Wellington back in the 1970s. Simon Wallace is the project manager, and I had an interesting chat with him about how to make eco both sustainable and affordable. So I started out by asking Simon how he got involved in the project in the first place. So my brother Ralph Wallace um, has been associated with the Lotus uh, Yoga Center since about 1973, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Eric Dornerkamp set up the Lotus Yoga Center in Arrow Street in Wellington. Yep. Back in about 1970 odd, right. early, very early 70s. Yeah. And um, that grew and expanded into to three or four properties in Arrow Street. And um, that sort of concept, I suppose, of of an eco-village, although they didn't use that term then, uh, had its genesis at that point. And um, in 1985, Eric bought the block of land in Paraparaumu, which is um, the site of the, the, you know, of the current eco-village development. Mm -hmm. And it's eight and a half acres or just over three hectares. Yeah. And he has uh, it came with a big old villa on the property which they use as the uh, sort of yoga studio and consulting rooms and mm-hmm. have done since 1985 in about 2011 um, my brother Ralph had become chairman of the uh, yoga center uh, charitable trust yep and he first approached me then and said that you know, they were in a situation where they were you know under a bit of financial pressure and uh, so there was a bit of a chat around um, doing something around a housing development at that point. So that was its sort of genesis at that point. And then we, um, it sort of went on the back burner until early 2017. So at that point, he came back to me, Ralph came back to me and said, we definitely need to be doing something. And the committee is on board with it. Mm-hmm. And so we started work uh, in March 2017, and I engaged Landlink to put together a scheme plan, and it grew from there. So, what's the the main objective for you guys for the for the actual eco village and for the dwellings? So, what we want to do is we want to create uh, an environmentally, financially, and socially uh, responsible development. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the core of where we, we were going for, or started from, and uh, having sustainability and and all those sort of in those sort of three functions is is a key or core uh, value that we have. Yeah, it's interesting you use the term responsibility um, ahead of sustainability. Are they are they the same thing? Uh, probably interchangeable. Yeah. Um, 
one one is one equals the other really doesn't it yeah. we, we we have to be responsible um for our environment we're the ones that's human beings that are influencing the environment yeah uh, certainly you don't get that from you know any animals although humans of course have intensified our livestock in New Zealand to such an extent that animals are having a major influence on mm, mm. you know greenhouse gas emissions so we are responsible and uh, for creating a sustainable future for the planet yeah and so through Ralph and and, and the development of this from way back in the 70s it, it kind of been a little bit of a headier time right from the start because if there's a few people doing yoga back then but it certainly wasn't as trendy it is as now, uh, but you've sort of grown with the wave. Well, I, I um, I'm probably not best qualified to talk about the yoga centre as it currently stands or operates. Um, but I, what I can say is, yeah, they've they were very early in the piece, mm. and um, and and Eric, that's Eric's sort of dream and his sort of background dream was always to try to develop a community, yeah, of like-minded people, and. Um, uh, I guess he probably didn't have the financial uh, ability or perhaps the development sort of knowledge and skills to do the work. So it was yeah. a, a case of, I think that they probably have patiently waited for all the stars to come into alignment. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. and that time's now, and I've, I've come along at the right time. Uh, and my personal circumstances are such that I've got an ability with my time and finances to um, act as the developer and uh, and funder of this yep. development. Yeah. So paint us a picture of of the the village. Uh, give us some numbers around um, number of dwellings we're looking at, how many people, that sort of thing. Yep. Okay. So over the last eighteen months, we have gone through a little bit of a roller coaster ride, yeah. and uh, in terms of the development, and we, so we started out looking at about fifteen houses mm -hmm. um, and that went up to as many as 27 and then we went through uh, started the resource consent process for 27 houses in addition to that we um, are building a community house yeah and a, and a new yoga center and studio and consulting rooms um, and we're also wanting to build a visitor space in terms of not not in the sense of visitors coming but a visitor um accommodation i should say so for maybe a, like a one bedroom a visitor accommodation so that's the, that's the goal of what we're wanting to do plus yep. uh, vegetable gardens throughout uh for community use and also veg uh, trees and um and fruit trees and so forth and obviously replanting in natives as much as we possibly can so going through with going to council with that proposal was in their minds, quite innovative and um, unusual, and we didn't fit their criteria, so they couldn't <laughs> give us out of the box. Yeah, so they couldn't go through their box ticking process. Yeah. And so this isn't at all a criticism of council. It's just a, if, if anything, it's a criticism of how the Resource Management Act over the last twenty years has been added to and in an ad hoc manner and it's lost its cohesiveness if it ever had it i don't know but it certainly has lost its cohesiveness and it doesn't facilitate any kind of different or innovative way of of um of growing or developing land in uh, in mm. urban areas mm. so that's how i look at it and so i don't see that kcdc cavity coast district council or the wellington regional council uh, at fault they it's their job to administer the Res yeah. resource management act yeah uh, not not to develop it 
And so we didn't fit nicely into the RMA, and as a consequence of that, it's been quite a process to go through. Mm. Um, the iwi, uh, local iwi uh, have a right uh, which is goes right back to uh, the Treaty of Waitangi days, if you, if you read it from a fairly liberal point of view. They have a right to be involved and be an affected party. So we also had to consult with iwi, which took you know two or three months. Right. Um, and where that three-way process took us over what ended up being a nine-month process was that we changed the design a, a little further to accommodate concerns, and we're now at a point where we have 25 houses, a, um, a, an apartment that we're going to build on top of the community house for uh, you know a visitor or visitors to stay, mm-hmm. and we still obviously are retaining our community house and the consulting rooms and yoga studio as and, and in addition to the 25 houses that we've got on our proposal to build just coming back to the resource consent so there's existing buildings on the site yep and it was part of the challenge of the resource consent to change of use uh yep. of, of what the area was well this is where it's a little interesting and i'm not an expert but um the yoga centre is treated as a commercial activity in a, in, a, in a residential zone. Right. And because we were, uh, and, and, and although they had that existing use right dating back to 1985, because we were um, doing a development and therefore we were triggering a response from the RMA mm. through KCDC, we had to, as part of that application, we had to apply for uh, as if we were doing a new commercial development because we were building a new commercial um, property. And although there was that existing use, it was effectively as if we were doing a new application for a commercial use. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So that, yeah. that, that triggered uh, a number of, of reports around traffic and noise and all those sorts of things that we had to go through. Yeah. Uh, so that elongated the process. So kind of interesting that there's an existing use on the site we weren't uh, enlarging that commercial use if you like mm. um, but because we were doing a new development we had to start again as if it was a brand new virgin site yeah, so yeah, I, yeah I think you know that's kind of interesting to to look at from a developer's point of view um, so that as I said elongated the process a lot more reporting a lot more cost and yeah. uh, just making the process yeah, that much harder because part of what I, uh, we're trying to achieve here as well is that we recognise that there's an issue in New Zealand and in Kapiti as well, just the same, mm-hmm. no different uh, around lack of housing mm. and also housing affordability. Yep. So this development is a not-for-profit uh, development. Yeah. And uh, our goal is to build housing that is as as affordable as we can make it uh, within the constraints of. Of, of cost um, for developing in New Zealand at the moment, where we have cost of materials and cost of building is, yeah. uh, you know, not conducive to doing affordable housing. What so are some housing, of the how how are you doing that? What are, what are some of the key ways that you're getting costs down? So uh, I'm applying my project management skills and experience to getting costs down mm-hmm. um, in a general sense. Um, as I said, it's not for profit, so there's not several million dollars to be spread across the 25 mm. houses um, to generate a, a typical developer's margin. Um, we have developed a design uh, of the houses, so we're having a, a, a two-bedroom, two-bathroom, and a three-bedroom, two-bathroom, uh, so two designs. 
uh, and then they've got two roof lines. One is a mono pitch and one is a gable. Yeah. So we're effectively having two two designs with um, two roof lines. So four designs effectively, but uh, in essence, just two designs. Yeah. Housing, uh, and they're very standardised. And I'm going out to um, house builders who build in a, in a factory. So we're doing right. and then relocating them to to the site. So yeah. Uh, and that way we are reducing waste, we're reducing yep. the impact on the environment, and we're reducing cost, and we're improving quality because it's being built in a yep. factory, so it's not exposed to the elements through the building process. Absolutely. And they're so a bit high go, spec as well. You got, you got uh, Just looking yep. through your specification, you've got 140 mil stud uh, external yep. walls, so you've got a higher level of insulation there. Yes. Yep. Um, you, you're putting more than the code required insulation in the the roofs as well or having a absolutely yep. 4.6 r yep yep um obviously water is a big thing in the cavity coast so you you've got uh some water collection on site so what we're doing there is the cavity district council require us to have <clears throat> a 10,000 liter tank per house yep so when you're building a single dwelling on a single piece of land, which is you know the traditional way, you've got a seven or eight thousand uh, dollar, ten thousand liter tank to put in. There's also attenuation of of um, yep. water or storm water, and obviously as you increase the hard surfaces in an area, you've got to uh, ensure that you collect that excess that's created, which isn't naturally you know draining away. Yeah. So we have to uh, handle attenuation. We've got a, a, a lake in the centre of the, or a large pond, about 40 metres by 20 metres in the centre of the site that we'll use for water attenuation. But we're not going to go with a single water tank for each house. We've uh, Council have agreed that we can do much larger tanks and fewer of them. Yep. And that's going to uh, reduce cost as well reasonably significantly. Yeah. Um, and so alongside, you know, the pond and for water attenuation and um, fewer larger tanks, we're reducing cost. But obviously things like uh, even architectural fees and engineering fees, you're probably looking at twenty to $30,000 per house. Uh, we're looking at 2000 or $2,500 per house because we're standardizing. Yeah. So you've got, you're standardizing and that you've got basically two designs. Yep. Um, but they're not standard as in standard 3604 typical New Zealand building construction. They're, they're a bit above that. I think, you know, they're, they're, I would call them to be significantly above your standard yeah. um, housing development, um, you know, box-like structures that, yeah. um, you know, that simple, we currently see. Aren't they? They're, they're, yep, yeah, they yeah, are. they're simple shape, but yep. you're putting the effort into the quality and, like I say, the prefabrication. I think it's going to be fascinating yep. to see what kind of uh, cost reductions you get through that prefabrication process as well. Yeah. Well, we're probably looking at about a 35% reduction overall, but then we're putting back about 15% into higher quality. Yeah. So we're ending up at around about, you know, that 15 to 20% uh, re um, cost below anywhere else. And, then, you know, that's including developer margin. Yeah, which well, seems yeah, like so a really good formula for – uh, from the developer's perspective as well, there's still enough in there potentially to, to make a bit yep. of margin if someone was doing it, was doing it commercially. Yep. Tell I agree. You, so uh, I was uh, going to say, so, you, you know, a developer could end up with a, you know, a, a reasonable and sustainable and fair margin of around, you know, 10 or 12%. Yeah. As opposed to 20 to 30% that, you know, some developers look for. So yeah. there's certainly 10% yeah. in there and there's also a 10% reduction for the house purchaser and there's a 15% 
maybe 20% improvement in quality. Yep. And in terms of sustainability and looking after the environment, it's uh, 30 40% better, in my yep. opinion. So I'm ticking a lot of boxes in how I'm uh, approaching this whole development. Before we go on, I'd just like to say a quick thanks to Proclimber who helped make this show possible. Proclimber's air tightness and weather tightness building systems in combination with effective insulation and appropriate ventilation create energy efficient, low allergen emitting, comfortable, healthy buildings. Proclimber's patented systems also ensure the long-term effectiveness of insulation and the structural durability of the building by protecting it from moisture damage thereby making sure your healthy, energy-efficient and eco-friendly environment remains that way for years to come. Check them out at proclimate.com.au or proclimate.co.nz. Proclimate, and the insulation is perfect. Tell me about your window choice of window joinery. Um... Interesting question. Uh, we're going with standard aluminium joinery mm-hmm. um, for double glazing e-glass e mm-hmm. so that we um, control um, heat gain. Mm-hmm. A lot of the issues in uh, you know, to deal with around uh, making a house sustainable and more livable is to avoid heating and cooling. And heating and cooling can be managed by e-glass to reduce uh, heat coming in in the first place, by a higher spec insulation to reduce heat buildup by ventilation coming in through low window openings and having skylights. So mm-hmm. you get a, a thermal effect. So you bring in cool air and it pushes the hot air out of the top. Yep. Uh, we're not having any air, con- <clears throat> any air conditioning in the in the house. It's going to be naturally ventilated. And I've done it with my another house that I've built in, uh, uh, in the past uh, where I've naturally ventilated. So we bring lower temperature air in through vegetation. Mm-hmm. Bringing that air in, and uh, in, in this area, it'll be coming in at around 18 or 19 degrees because it's yep. been reduced through the vegetation, coming in at a low uh, level into the house, pushed, pushing any hot air buildup out through the skylights and keeping the house in that 21 to 23 degree uh, heating range or, yeah. or temperature range. Yeah, yeah. In the winter time, to warm with um, double glazing and much higher insulation, we are going to be able to keep the house warmer and we're warming the house through a air-to-water heat pump technology, yep. which is giving us radiant underfloor heating. Mm-hmm. And that's top of the range and it's yeah. how the Europeans do it. And, you know, in New Zealand, we all leap on board this sort of heat pump technology, which, is yes, it's better, but it's not as good as radiant floor heating. And um, we are running at around uh, an equivalent of 7.5 cents per kilowatt effective cost to heat yeah. as opposed to 25 to 30 cents per kilowatt if you're using, um, you know, a three-bar heater to take yeah, it to the yeah, other absolutely. screen. Yeah. So, Will that um, be a, a separate unit for each dwelling or is that a, a – yep, have you got – it a, is. Right, okay. Separate units, so it's completely controllable by each individual house. Yeah. Um, so did, did you look at like district heating for the to a, a larger scheme for the whole village? Yes, I did. Um, but the cost is was just going to be too high. Right. And um, and disruption as well to you know yeah. if, if we were doing it as an underground system. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and anyway, we're trying not to uh, impact the environment as you know if we can afford, avoid yeah. it. Yeah. So certainly doing um, a um, air to water heat pump technology, um, yep. although it's probably the, you know more well it is more expensive than 
simple um, heat, you know, heat pump technology that you would typically use for your air conditioning in a house. Yeah. The whole of life cost is substantially reduced. Well, and more than that, the quality of life as well, because you're actually heating the the envelope of the house, the structure of the house, because that radiant heat is going to um, warm the whole home, not not try yep. and just warm the air inside the home, which is a, That's a, right. a much better way of, of having that continual heat through the wintertime. I guess you much just healthier. miss out on, yep. on having air conditioning. But like you say, you can, you can design that out and not need cooling in the in the summertime and, and with external yep. you've got some external shading on some of these renders that you sent through which uh combined with your good glazing should should mm-hmm. suffice yep. just coming coming back to the windows did you look at um at thermally broken frames or, or higher spec uh joinery yep so um i talked with a um a passive house um expert i guess you would call him um, and who's local and, and he and he's just been appointed chairman of the Passive House um, Society, I think it is, of New Zealand. All right, that'll be Elrond. Yep. Yeah, we've had him That's on the right. show before. Yep. Yep. So Elrond is um, on the Kapiti Coast here. So I've yep. talked with him uh, about the whole housing structure and what we're doing. Yep. Um, now, uh, you know, thermally broken works if you do the build of the house in the correct manner. Thermally broken without making sure that they uh, uh, inset to the house or external of the house. I can't recall actually off the top of my head which way it was. But what happens is that a lot of houses are built and this sort of thermally broken window concept is is, is pushed onto the uh, customer. Mm-hmm. But if they're not built in accordance with the passive house um, technology, and I, you have to forgive me, I can't quite recall whether it uh, it's internal or external. You basically house. want you basically want to get it in in the pla- in the centre of the plane of of your wall so that it sits within the insulation. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Rather than hanging yep. out on the outside. Yeah. But a lot of houses are built um, where they hang out outside yeah. of the structure. Yeah. So having them thermally broken achieves nothing. So, um, but anyway, out the design, aiming for the simplicity of design that, of the house that we have done, mm-hmm. um, we. Just talked through that process and um, decided that um, on a value for money basis that what we're doing um, will give us a really good outcome mm-hmm. uh, without, um, you know, taking on board the extra cost. So, mm. you know, I'm, I'm, as you know, obviously in these situations, you know, a developer or a builder is torn between cost and um, and and product improvement effectively, yep. there's always that tension there. So there's always yep. decisions to be made. So the decision we've made is that we won't go thermally broken. We'll go with low E glass and obviously double glazed and we'll beef up insulation, So which is yep. a lot cheaper. I mean, insulation is really cheap. So why not bulk up your insulation um, and get the benefits that way? Mm-hmm. Well, most people, if they're going to the passive house, the answer to that would be because you you you're only as strong as your weakest point. And if you have any thermal bridges, which you might do with the non-thermally broken frames, and that's a risk of condensation, to a degree yep. you're you're countering that by having your good radiant heating. So the inside, basically going to force dry the inside of the home and reduce the likelihood of, of condensation on the inside of those frames. Yep. Plus your, your, your passive ventilation uh, help help reduce that as well. 
Um, but yep. at the end yep. of the day, like you say, it comes down to a design decision and obviously cost effectiveness uh, is a real key driver um, for you. Do you have a, a target price per square meter of bill cost? Um, well, to a degree, but um, I haven't really worried too much about um, doing that calculation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're going to be around about the 2.8 mark yep. uh, all up. Uh, yep. But it wasn't so much trying to get, uh, you know, trying to reach a figure. What we're trying to reach is affordability um, and quality and having those two tensions and, and, and you know, meeting both those points. Yeah. The other thing to keep in mind is in Kapiti, we, um, you know, the the temperature range is not as dramatic perhaps as you have in Christchurch. So sure. in terms of um, bottom end temperatures, we don't go into the minuses here. So mm. Mm. Um, we typically might get down to two or three degrees. Yeah. Yep. So that urgency for um, thermally broken is probably a little less in that sense perhaps. And um, uh, it is, you know, heat, Insulation against heat is quite important. Yep. So um, that's what's sort of driven my thinking there. Yep. Are you started selling them? Uh, well, we've got seven people have um, purchased. We haven't started selling. We've taken orders uh, <laughs> awesome. at this point in time. So you're, you've already got demand though. Yeah. Well, just that's because of the you know the, we're doing a yoga center yeah. development, and so the people that have bought in to date are all yoga center. Um, members effectively. Yeah. And um, what's the what's the project timeline from from here now? So we we started on site on the second or third of September, and our first job was to put in tracks to take out uh, exotic trees, which are predominantly pines. Mm -hmm. So that job's in hand and is, is occurring as we speak. And uh, we hope to get on site around the first of November to start doing. Uh, earthworks to put in the roads and put in um, all the services. Yeah. And, and so the have plant. You, have you found a, to, a, a builder prefabricator yet? Uh, I've got about eight or nine companies that have registered interest in wanting to do to tender. Wow. We, that's cool. We won't complete um, all our design work and specifications. They're all happening um, through the month of September. Yeah. <clears throat> so we'll be going out to tender on um, target date, sort of 1st of October, and we'll aim to have an appointment by uh, probably, or well, a selected tenderer by the end of October, then probably two or three weeks of due diligence through November for me to make yeah. sure that I'm comfortable with them. Yeah. Place order 1st of December, 1st house delivery, 1st of April. That's very exciting, uh, and it's great that you've got all those options uh, um, for provision of the prefabrication um, because we, there's so much talk about that and people say, oh, this is the way forward. And I don't think a lot of people realise that there are these companies out there who are, are ready to go uh, yep, with that type are. of construction, which is, is fantastic. Yep. Well, there's more than nine in the North Island. I mean, obviously, I wasn't any, going to anybody in the South Island. Yeah. Um, but there's there's more than nine in the North yeah, Island, absolutely. and um, yeah. and so I think there's there is real capability and ability to um, to grow this part of the business, and yeah. <clears throat> that's certainly one thing that I wanted to do as well. It's it's, it's sort of trying to make a bit of a game changer. On, yeah. Well, I think <coughs> the more front. the more real life examples like this that people see that prefab can be high quality, healthy, comfortable, doesn't have to be terrible old school building. 
That's right. It helps change the the nature because <clears throat> all we're really doing is changing the the way that the house gets delivered to site and and how it gets built. And you know, like you said, there's a lot of advantages around quality of construction from the that method of prefabrication. Yep. And speed, of course, too, Absolutely. because if we were building these houses traditionally, yep. Um, unless I had you know twenty five different building companies mm. that would, you know it's, it's a nine month build typically yeah, on yeah. site so yeah. Yeah. um it's, it would take forever to get this yeah. development done i mean my goal is to is to uh, attempt to get one delivered every month yeah that's my goal so we'll take a 20 it'll be a 24 month build yeah now, just and that's really good of, for the occupiers uh, then of course because they're not in a building site for 24 months or yeah. for more than 24 months either so yeah absolutely yeah uh, do people buy the house outright? Is it is not freehold? Is it? So well, it's freehold, but it's unit title. Mm-hmm. So um, a, a unit title development enables us to more easily manage the um, the environment on the go forward, so that a body corporate can control activities on the site. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a freehold in the sense you can buy and sell in the normal traditional way. It's not right. cross leased or anything like that. It, right. It's like a big apartment building, except yeah. it's on the flat. Yeah. So, Will there be any um, restrictions on how long people um, need to retain, or will they be able to buy one as a as a rental property? Yep. It's just it's exactly like a freehold um, um, development. Right. Um, it's just like if you're buying an apartment in, a, in, a, in an apartment building, yeah, it's yeah. a unit title development, and you can buy and sell, rent, do whatever you want to do. Yeah. In the normal sense, I mean, there's body corporate rules and regulations, which is under the 2010 Body Corporate Act, which was um, revised 2015. Yeah. So um, it's just, you know, we're governed by that, but of course we can also set up our own guidelines and principles, which we've already done. Yeah. And um, those guidelines and principles are just how we see uh, that we want to live and in, uh, in this environment. Yeah. And of course, if you want to change the rules um, with a fifty percent or seventy-five percent vote, you can do that by calling right. a, a meeting. Yeah. And then so it's really so you, flexible. Yeah, and uh, and you get all the benefits of having those other facilities close by, and and the other obviously the yoga center, but also the just the other amenities around the site. Yes, indeed. Yep. So we. With the community house, we're going to have um, a workshop in there. We're going to have separately a um, sort of implementation shed, which is a size of a double garage for um, tools. So everybody coming into the site will bring all their equipment with them that they mm-hmm. currently have. Yeah. But that'll last us for you know <laughs> virtually forever because yeah. we'll have 25 hoes, 25 yeah. um, spades, yeah. etc. Um, so there's and so we will do sort of general working bees to manage the site, um, obviously as as it needs to be. Yep. We're going to have a large village green of about 1,400 square metres uh, and it's in the centre of the uh, complex. So um, that'll be available, obviously, for vegetable gardens and um, sitting and relaxing, yeah. grandchildren or children playing a bit of cricket on the lawn. And yeah. All those things will all be available all within the site. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. stunning. It is. So uh, if people are interested, how can they get in touch? Well, um th- can ring me, I guess, in the first instance um, on my phone number 029 or email me at simon.wallace at extra.co.nz. And is it, uh, are you listing the, the sites now? Is it, is it, are you doing some marketing around the, the other houses? No, we're not going to start doing marketing until 
around February one next year. But right. people are, are wanting to inquire. I'm taking inquiries, but yep. I'm not actively marketing. Yeah, so get in, really get in early. <laughs> Yeah, you yeah might have exactly. A few takers. <laughs> there's, there's only 18 sites left, and yeah, that's, yeah. that's not a lot. Um, uh, it's pretty compelling, I'll tell you. What, it's uh, it's such a attractive uh, proposition, I think, for from uh, all all sides. So uh, I'm excited to keep in touch and and see the progress, um, mm. and also have a look back at the some of the technical outcomes as well around the performance of the houses and that that delivery. Mm of uh of prefabricated good quality homes mm. well the other thing to keep in mind is we're 500 meters from the train station perfect uh, we, we've got a bus going both ways outside the door yeah um and we're about 800 meters from coastlands which is the sort of paparumu sort of big mall which has got supermarkets and right all sorts of stuff right. so yeah you can you can walk everywhere or you can push bike or you can catch a bus and a train to yeah. go into wellington city all that are all on your doorstep so in terms of its location from a commute point of view or as i said just for shopping um you know you can walk everywhere yeah awesome so great location carpet is a great and developing part of the world yeah uh the environment and also just you know the general Vibe of the place is great. It's about uh, 50,000 people in the Kapiti Coast area, so it's a good size. You're selling it well. <laughs> yep. Well, it's not hard to sell. No, no, that's right. It sells itself. And, of course, the climate here is brilliant. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you're right by better. the seaside. So, um, <laughs> yep. yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all there for you. Awesome. Hey, well, thank you very much, uh, Simon, and, and well done. It's a, it's a great project, um, and uh, you've obviously done a, put a lot of thinking and uh, got some uh, some good input into the project. So, like I said, I'm really keen to keep in touch and see how it all goes. Yep. That'll be great. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Simon Wallace there, the project manager of the Lotus Yoga Centre Eco Village Development happening in Paraparaumu, just north of Wellington. Now, I did challenge Simon there a little bit on his choice of glazing, and we subsequently emailed a couple of times after the interview. He directed me to some of the advice that he had received and explained a little bit more his decision to go with non-thermally broken frames. And I also replied to Simon and referenced some great articles by John Davies on EBOS, where he describes a concept called the triple connected window. Now, Simon's uh, right in explaining that if you hang your windows on the outside of the thermal envelope, then you do lose a lot of the benefit of having a thermal break. Uh, John Davies goes into some detail about how to avoid that and get the both best of both worlds, really, to get your thermal envelope uh, sorted and uh, get good performance from your windows, plus making the window airtight and watertight from the outside, which is uh, something that we all want and need to do. So check those out. I've put links for those uh, and more information in the show notes. You can check that out, that out over at homestylegreen.com forward slash 172 for this episode. Thanks very much for tuning in. I'd love to know your thoughts. Uh, you can email me, matthew at homestylegreen.com. Also, don't forget that I do have some uh, yoo air monitors now in the country here in New Zealand and can ship them to Australia too. Um, check that out, yoohoo.co.nz. That's u-h-o-o.co.nz. It's a great, easy way to monitor the health and uh, comfort of your home 
and really see what's going on there. It includes temperature, relative humidity, CO2 and a whole bunch of other sensors that you can easily monitor through the app on your cell phone for wherever you are. That's it for me for this week. Thanks very much for tuning in. Now go make a better place to live. <laughs>